This podcast is for reference purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances. Hey, is this thing on? Welcome to Maddox on the Mic, a legal podcast presented by Maddox, an independent Australian law firm. Hello and welcome to Maddox on the Mic. Today on the Future of Aged Care podcast, we'll be talking about the new model of home care that has been proposed by the Royal Commission into Aged Care Quality and Safety and responded to by the Australian Government. My name is Alexandra Adams and I'm a Senior Associate in the Maddox Healthcare Team. Joining me today is Lucille Scomazon, a partner in our healthcare team. Welcome, Lucille. And Elizabeth Blanche, a Senior Associate in our healthcare team. Welcome, Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth is going to be running us through the issues today, so I'll hand over to you, Elizabeth. So home care is a critical part of the aged care system and will continue to be so. Most people want to stay in their homes as long as they can, and home care can result in better outcomes for care recipients. Despite that, the Royal Commission found that the system has not been operating effectively and proposed both immediate fixes to the current system Um, as well as the introduction of a new model of home care in years to come. So first things first, I think we should talk about access to home care. And Alexandra, maybe we'll start with you. Um, This was identified as an area for immediate action by the Royal Commission in its interim report. Are you able to speak to us about progress made on this issue so far? So the lengthy wait list for home care services was no secret before the Royal Commission, but the Royal Commission's hearings revealed the true extent of the issue. Um, And that was that some people that had been approved as eligible for home care were in some instances waiting years to receive services and in some cases even passing away before they they had the opportunity to access those services for which they were eligible. It found that these difficulties were often more acute in regional areas. In short, the Commission found that the rationing of home care packages meant that there weren't enough home care packages for the number of people assessed as needing it. And that was a deliberate choice by some previous governments when they were setting up the scheme many years ago. To address these issues, the Royal Commission made a number of recommendations to make home care more accessible, including um, that the the Australian government should clear the home care packages waitlist immediately by increasing the packages available and allocating a package to all people on the waiting list that did not yet have a package. So in response to that, the government has um, increased packages. They've released currently 40,000 in 2021-22 and planning to release 40,000 in 2022-23. So that's a really big increase in the number of packages available for home care in Australia. But um, by releasing new packages, they're still kind of operating on the same basis that um, there's a limited number of packages available and it's not just you know, um, if you are assessed as needing it, then you get access to home care. So the really big change in accessibility will come um, if the new care at home model proposed by the Royal Commission is introduced, which will allocate the care packages based on need rather than saying, you know, there's X amount available in the market and um, you've got to wait until one becomes available. And um, the government's accepted this proposal in principle, which is really great. That is great. And it's it's really interesting what you're saying there around... Um, the funding being based on demand rather than sort of rationing care as it has historically been. This sounds like maybe we're moving closer to a system similar to the NDIS. Do you think that's that's fair to say? Look, I think it is fair to say that um, some of the proposals in relation to the home care space has really started to shift it to a bit more of some of those fundamental 
um, principles of the NDIS system. And there's a few different ways that it's doing that. In particular, so so while consumers already have a certain amount of power in relation to their to their packages, um, the funding is kind of going to be more more directly um, given to the consumers rather than kind of sitting at provider level going going forward. It seems like this model. Uh, has worked pretty well in the disability space with participants having more choice and flexibility to mix and match providers, um, sometimes with the help of a plan manager. And this is a kind of similar model that the Royal Commission is recommending in the home care space, um, which suggests the possibility of the home care recipient having multiple approved providers um, in the future and kind of picking and choosing different services from different providers. So there may well still be a lead provider that um, kind of does some of the compliance work associated with, you know, making sure that um, there's a care plan and things like that in place. Um, but it will be possible for the for the client to get services from a different provider um, without having to go through a kind of subcontracting model that they have to now. And this will certainly be a big shift uh, from the circumstances where a provider with a home care package um, has significant involvement in how those funds are spent for each individual um, participant. It will, it will also more easily serve those participants that are currently seeking to self-manage their home care package, which is an approach that we've seen um, in our practice doesn't always comfortably sit in the current regulatory regime. You've touched on some interesting points there, Alexandra, and I think we can see some changes and trends emerging already in this respect. In working with our home care provider clients, what we're able to identify are clear trends that are arising from interactions that they have with the regulator around the obligations uh, that they have when it comes to package management and care management. So as we know, it's common for providers to subcontract or broker the provision of certain home care services to others, including um, whether those organisations might be approved providers themselves or otherwise. Um, sometimes this happens, as we know, by necessity. Sometimes it happens by choice, including choice that's directed by the consumer. So there's not much new about that, but what is becoming more commonplace since um, things like the move to consumer-directed care, the portability of packages back in um 2017 and the more recent changes around um, unspent funds is this this issue that's emerging with um, the split of who's providing a home care package and, and what that means and, and what the interest of the regulator is in some of those um, things that arise from that. Um, what we're seeing is that um, the regulator wants to know that providers are clearly articulating, whether that be by documentation preferably, that their arrangements with suppliers are uh, in place so that it's very clear what the responsibilities of each party is. Um, it really goes beyond engagement of someone to provide an episode of care or service. It's not just as simple as saying, well, I don't provide physiotherapy services, so I'm going to engage a physiotherapist to do that. If you're the approved provider, what the regulators came to see is how do you know the care is being provided? How do you know the consumer was satisfied? And how do you know that that intervention, that care or service was in fact effective? How do you identify um, and manage clients with deteriorating conditions if you're not the principal provider um, throughout of all of the services that your client's um, receiving? So really having in place measures to be able to monitor and identify that. So I guess what we're seeing is a, a real balance that needs to be struck between meeting the responsibilities that an approved provider has currently under the standards, 
but also being flexible enough to provide consumers with the choices um, that they seek and to facilitate those choices, particularly, as you've said, Alexandra, when it comes to models that involve a level of self-management um, and contracting out. Yeah, it's interesting what you say there, Lucille, and I'm, I'm wondering, do you think this, you know, this will flow into consumers really being able to access the services they actually need within the confines of their home care funding budget? Look, quite possibly. The Royal Commission recommended that home care um, provide an entitlement to all forms of support and care which the individual is assessed as needing, very, very, very similar, I suppose, to the reasonable and necessary supports that are funded under the NDIS. Um, some evidence was heard by the Commission about the potential for a significant discrepancy in funding between a person with NDIS funding and a person on a home care package, even though they might have very similar needs. Um, some NDIS participants were significantly better off under the NDIS than they would have been under the aged care system. So while the Australian Government has accepted in principle the recommendations to fund supports on an as-needs basis, the focus of, of the current government of implementing spending controls on the NDI, NDIS, for example, through independent assessments, suggests that the ultimate level of support available to home care recipients may not entirely um, replicate an NDIS-style system. And I suppose it might be some time before we see the full workings of this new system. Um, the government's indicated it will seek to finalise a design uh, of a new support at home program uh, intended to commence from July 2023 uh, following sector consultation and further model development. So this is still a way off, I guess. Yeah, and you, you touched just then on the funding of the new home care model. I mean, this is a big question that we've asked a number of times in relation to, you know, a bunch of the recommendations, how are these things going to be funded? Um, did the Royal Commission outline how these sort of new home care initiatives would be funded? Yeah, I mean, this is this is one that um, was an area of um, differentiation, I guess, between the views of the two commissioners, and that's been picked up, um, I guess, quite extensively in the reporting of of the recommendations. Um, Commissioner Pagoni suggested the Productivity Commission should be asked to consider an aged care levy um, through our tax system, whereas Commissioner Briggs suggested. Um, uh, a flat rate of 1% of taxable personal income based on a Medicare-style levy. Um, I guess where we are, though, is that the government's accepted neither of those recommendations. So it really remains to be seen how, you know, the, to the extent there is a steep increase uh, in the availability of home care services, how, in fact, that's actually going to be funded. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to, to see what happens there. So I suppose while there's no commitment to any sort of wholesale additional taxation to fund this, I guess it is still good news that the government has committed to to more home care packages. So I suppose that is that is one one good takeaway. Did, did the Royal Commission think that more funding was the solution to the issues it identified in its hearings around home care? I mean, is money, is money the answer? I think funding is obviously a really big issue in the home care space because of the wait list and because of the, the backlog of people that were seeking to access it that couldn't. But um, it certainly wasn't the only issue that the Royal Commission were looking at in terms of home care. So um, the Royal Commission also noted that the quality and safety framework for home care required strengthening. It compared the quality and safety tools that were available in RESI, in residential aged care, with those in home care, and they're clearly more developed in the residential care setting. 
than those in home care. And look, as more providers come on board um, with the the kind of large increase in um, home care packages, the regulator is going to need to be pretty on top of managing um, a lot of new providers in the system and making sure the ones that are there are um, kind of meeting their compliance obligations. Coming out of the Royal Commission, there's likely to be additional compliance obligations that are ultimately going to be placed on home care providers. And one important one will be that um, home care providers that provide the kind of high level care services, so um, care management, clinical care, um, palliative and end of life care, which you see in home care as well, so they're going to have to be accredited in order to receive subsidies. And the shape of that system is going to be subject to a lot of consultation, no doubt, but the accreditation system will allow the regulator to have a bit more control over the, the risks associated with individual providers that are providing those different types of care. Um, and that'll kind of bring it more into an accreditation and sanctions process that we see in the residential aged care space. That is quite interesting and it's quite quite a change that uh, is being considered there. I mean, provision of this high-level care has always been an area that obviously requires you know, careful assessment of risks for home care providers. So it's going to be interesting to see how monitoring might change um, going forward. So we'll, we'll definitely keep an eye on that. So it looks like, based on what you, Lucille, and Alexandra have said, there are a lot of changes on the horizon for home care providers, and some of them really are quite fundamental to the way that uh, they, you know, home care providers currently operate their businesses. Are there any closing remarks you'd like to make to home care providers about how they can manage these, you know, these changes? Maybe Alexandra, we'll start with you and then, then go to Lucille. Look, I think the changes to home care packages and the giving of more choice to individuals um, in terms of using multiple, multiple providers for different services are going to open up some really great opportunities for home care providers to focus on what they do well um, and then maybe to steer clear of areas that aren't their strongest offerings. So while the move to this kind of entirely new system might bring compliance costs, I think the ultimate result could really be some good opportunities for, for some good providers. And Lucille, do you have any closing remarks? I do. Look, I, I think we are seeing three clear things in our work with providers of home-based care services uh, in the aftermath of, of the Royal Commission. So I think to a large extent, we're already seeing the sector um, responding to the changes that might be coming uh, and how they're going to approach that. Uh, and, and I think uh, what we're seeing may very well be indicative of the broader industry trends um, that, are, that are at play. So there's, there's three things that I'd probably point to. The first is uh, we're seeing a sharp increase in transactional work, um, so a return to market consolidation. Uh, and this is this has involved a couple of things. Firstly, founders of high-quality home care businesses are realising um, the value in the businesses they've built and exiting. Um, and in some cases, we're also seeing acquirers of home care businesses taking on businesses that will benefit from new ownership, um, where there might be a greater, um, greater resourcing or greater focus on established systems and frameworks uh, in place that will not only meet the regulatory scrutiny and governance requirements, but also place these organisations ultimately in a better position going forward to compete in the market. So I suppose um, to wrap up that first point, what I'd say is what we're seeing is uh, a level of market confidence that's manifesting in um, transactional activity. 
Um, and as I guess as we've seen in previous waves of um, consolidation in aged care more generally, this often accelerates um, providers to a decision point, um, and that is a very simple do I stay or do I go decision. Secondly, um, and particularly for those providers who have made the I will stay decision, um, there's a renewed focus that we're seeing coming through on implementing measures that support not only strong regulatory compliance, but also building brand confidence and loyalty um, amongst consumers. When I think back to the first interaction um, that many of our clients had with the Royal Commission when it started, and that was um, the requirement to provide information to the Commission about incidents and complaints that um, related to substandard care, I, I, I reflect back on that and I reflect um, now at what we're seeing with our provider clients and their approach to risk management and how much progress they have in fact made in that regard not only in how they collect and respond to information that would go to answering questions like that, but how they're using that information and how that information is a very um, rich and important source um, of for inf informing con continuous improvement initiatives um, and better practice initiatives and, and ultimately dr driving um, service to consumers. And um, so I suppose from a governance a governance perspective, it's also incumbent on board members and um, executive staff in home care providers to ask hard questions in this regard. And from what we're seeing, they are. Finally, um, we continue to see interest in our consumer-friendly um, home care agreements that Maddox produces, um, but also in effective documentation that can be used to support risk-based approaches when it comes to subcontracting or brokering out services. And as I said, that could be for a variety of reasons, whether it be through necessity, um, that is a provider doesn't have a particular service available or um, particular staffing available in a geographic location or it could simply be driven by um, consumer choice. Um, so they're probably the three things that I think I can safely say that we are certainly seeing in the home care providers um, that we have the privilege of working with and um, I think it's always it's always a good um, test to have a think about what our clients are doing because that often um, is a bit of a is a bit of an insight into um, how people are mobilising and, and responding to change that, that's coming their way. Thanks so much, Lucille and Alexandra. I think that's all we've got time for today. We hope you enjoyed the episode and learnt something new. If you have any questions or if you'd like a copy of the template home care agreement that Lucille mentioned, please head over to the Maddox website where you can download it or you can get in touch with any member of our healthcare team. Please look out for our upcoming podcasts on the Future of Aged Care podcast. And if you like this episode, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Maddox on the Mic. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to maddox.com.au forward slash podcast to subscribe. If you'd like more information on any of the topics discussed in today's episode, visit the Maddox website, maddox.com.au.